We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The podcast today brought to you by my bookie. March is here and the madness. It's officially beginning. It's time to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with MyBookie. All right, select the winners of 63 tournament games in the MyBookie Bracket Contest for a chance at $10,000 in cash prizes, and it's only $1 to enter. All right, $1 to enter. That's a, an absolute freebie nearly for a potential $10,000 in cash prizes with the MyBookie Bracket Contest. It doesn't matter whether you're filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking for player and game props, MyBookie's got you covered for this tournament. Sign up today at MyBookie.ag and use my promo code KevinDC to secure a deposit bonus of up to $1,000. Make sure you use my promo code so they know that I hooked you up. All right, that's important. Use my promo code KevinDC, claim your first deposit bonus, and use my promo code so that they know that I introduced you to my bookie. That's important. College basketball, NBA, NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, my bookie puts the action in your hands with in-game live betting. That's in-game live betting. If you're not familiar with that, the game's already started, but you can still bet the game. And with the choice of thousands of lines and odds, you can turn any game day into payday. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie at mybookie.ag. Use my promo code. Kevin DC. All right, no coolie today. Tim Murray's going to be our guest here shortly. We're going to talk a lot about the NCAA tournament and the bracket. I'm going to get into the Maryland um, Mark Turgeon, Juwan Howard thing. Um, I'm going to start the show with some Washington football team news, however. All right, and something that I learned from over the weekend. Um, and it involves Brandon Sheriff. And I'll be straight into the point. Brandon Sheriff, and we've debated this for over a week now, 18 million bucks one year on the franchise tag. They love Brandon Sheriff. This is not a huge revelation, um, but they don't care. They prefer a long-term deal, but they don't care about paying him $18 million bucks for a year. I know many of you you know, wondered, well, will they rescind it or will they trade him? Well, he's already signed the tag. He's in for $18 million bucks. I doubt there's going to be a long-term deal done. But the one thing that was made very clear to me over the weekend is that they just don't think they can replace Brandon Sheriff unless it would be like a Zach Martin. You know, he, They consider Brandon Sheriff to be elite at the position. 
Not to mention the fact that from a culture standpoint, they all love him. Love him. Um, losing him for next year with potentially two young quarterbacks on the roster and that's it was not an option for them. They were going to tag him if they couldn't get him signed to a long-term deal. And I think they're, they're hopeful that even if he plays next year under an $18 million number for a year, which by the way is very expensive for a guard, we'd all admit that, that they're hopeful that they still after next season would have a chance, especially if, you know, Brandon spends another year here and he realizes he can't be franchise tagged for a third year, um, perhaps he'll want to be here even more a year from now. Um, But it was made very clear to me that the conversation about the money and the one-year tag for them is laughable because there was no chance that they were going to go out and look for another guard to replace Brandon Sheriff. They don't think there is a replacement for Brandon Sheriff. They think he's elite in almost every scheme they run, and he's an elite athlete. And sure, are they concerned about him missing a third of, of the games over the last three years? They are, but they point to the games that he's missed, like the Rams game. Um, and uh, and they, and they said, uh, the, the, the person that I spoke to, did you see the Rams game and what Aaron Donald did to our interior without Brandon Sheriff there? Um, Brandon Sheriff would have prevented a lot of that. Anyway, uh, netting it out on Brandon Sheriff, they think that he's more than worth it. They just do not see um, the ability to replace Brandon Sheriff with Kevin Zeitler, who signed with Baltimore, or anybody else. They love Brandon Sheriff. They consider him and Zach Martin to be the two elite guards in the NFL and very crucial to what they want to do next year, especially if it's with young quarterbacks. By the way, the other news from over the weekend, Dustin Hopkins was re-signed. That's not a surprise to me. Um, Right now, as we record this podcast, no big news on the free agency front. Cooley will join us on Wednesday when we have more free agency news um, and on Friday of this week uh, as well. Um, I would urge all of you to listen to the interview that I did on radio this morning with Ben Standig. It was pretty good. We went through a lot of the different options. Bottom line, also, I would just say this as it relates to the quarterback situation. Uh, Ben and I ended up talking about this as well. I was thinking about it over the weekend. I just don't think personally guys like Jacoby Brissett and Tyrod Taylor um, and maybe even Marcus Mariota are options. And the reason is this. You're talking about guys that are going to come in that would be legitimate competition for Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke versus you go out and you get Sam Darnold in a trade or if you were to sign maybe even Andy Dalton to a deal or Ryan Fitzpatrick. Those guys are coming in to start. I don't think that those of you that have suggested to me Taylor, Brissett, I even would put Mariota somewhat in this category. I just don't think that those are possibilities. I don't think you're going to end up having three quarterbacks. And Ben told me this morning that he had Jay Gruden on his podcast um, uh, and that Gruden essentially said you can't have three quarterbacks in a competition anymore. It's impossible to get them all reps. That makes sense to me. That's why I would think that guys like Tyrod Taylor, Jacoby Brissett, maybe even Mariota, unless they really like Mariota and they think of Mariota as a starter if they were to bring him in, whether it's you know via a fifth or sixth round pick or even off of waivers, um, you know as a free agent. Um, but I would be thinking about the quarterback they add, if they do add one, to be more of an obvious starter over Taylor Heineke 
and Kyle Allen. Something something to think about there. Um, you know, if there's news as I'm recording this podcast on the free agent front, somebody sent me um, uh, the Rayshon J- uh, Jenkins stuff, the the number 23 DB for San, uh, for San Diego for the Chargers. Um, I, I, you know, I haven't done a lot of Rayshon Jenkins homework. I, I, when somebody sent this to me saying Washington's interested, this was on Twitter, by the way, um, not a source. I just remember Jenkins being number 23, and he's good. He's good. And, and these are the kinds of guys that if they sign these second-tier guys like J.D. McKissick and Logan Thomas and Wes Schweitzer you know, and Ronald Darby, they hit on all those guys last year for the most part. So I'm not going to be that disappointed, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I haven't heard anything specific to Jenkins anyway. But anyway, netting out just this first segment on Washington football, the one thing I was told over the weekend is anybody thinking that they're really you know concerned about 18 million bucks for a guard or that they weren't able to get Brandon signed to a long-term deal, they want Brandon signed to a long-term deal, they consider him to be essential that there is no replacement for him unless Zach Martin became available and that they, with a, with a young quarterback, they don't care about paying $18 million. They preferred the other, a long-term deal, but there was no way they were letting Brandon Sheriff go. So for those of us that thought it was too expensive, they can afford $18 million for one year, and they hope that it ends up not being his final year because Ron Rivera considers him to be a huge culture piece, but more importantly – a great player at the position. That was made very clear to me that this is not like a guy you just go out and get for a lot less money and you plug and play. He is considered by them to be elite. All right, I'm going to take a break, and then my good friend Tim Murray will join me, and we will talk a lot about the NCAA tournament, about Georgetown's run to the Big East title, to Maryland's uh, run to a 10 seed, um, and we will get into the Turgeon versus Juwan Howard thing from Friday as well, and a lot more. Uh, That's right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's bring in uh, Tim Murray to the show. Tim, of course, uh, forever in this market, at one Tim Murray on Twitter. 
Uh, Tim is part of the VEASAN network and is hosting the Nightcap Show, which we've talked about, uh, he and I have uh, previously. I love the time slot. It's 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. Um, Lots of ways to listen to it. Um, Tim and I love college basketball and love college football. When we worked together at the station, I've told this story many times, but but seriously, we were the only two people that were paying attention to college football at our entire station, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, and and pretty much college basketball. Actually, that's not true. Scott Jackson loved college basketball. Um and that was base, and, and of course, Coach Thompson when he was sure. doing the show. Um, but anyway, I, I I wanted to have you on um, to do some tournament talk. So let's start with the thing we're most interested in, and that is point spreads in these first games and what <laughs> stuck out to you. And then I'm, I've got ten takeaways from the draw, which I'll get to in a little bit. I want to go back and talk about Maryland, Michigan in particular, and the Mark Turgeon, Jawan Howard thing from Friday. Talk Talk about the Georgetown run as well, which was incredible. Um, and some of the trolling I took when I congratulated and said how happy I was for, <laughs> for the Georgetown family, which was totally genuine. And it has everything to do with Coach Thompson um, and and uh, the, the relationship that all of us developed with him at the station. And, and um, it is a great thing. But I, I want to save all of that. Give me, like, right away, because I've got, like, five or six games that stood out right away when the lines came out. What did you have? We'll go one by one. You give me a game, I'll give you a game. Um, in terms of the way – Tim's a big better, too. Mm-hmm. And, and and I you know I taught Tim as a very young lad <laughs> in the ways of contrarian handicapping and thinking. So what stuck out to you? I'll let you go one. I'll go one until we finish up. Yeah, I've I've brought in, uh, I've I've brought the the stinky line theory out to Las Vegas. Uh, you and you and uh, Van Pelt would be very proud of uh, of what I've brought to the Veasan Network. Um, yeah, there's there's a couple games that jump out at me. I'll give you the first. I I think Virginia's in some trouble uh, in that first round matchup. Ohio can really score and. Their run that they made, uh, this opened 10 and a half, and you've already seen uh, folks come in and buy Ohio. This has been bet down to nine. Um, the Bobcats, what they did in the MAC, uh, winning that conference tournament, they beat two really quality teams, Kevin, in Toledo and Buffalo. Toledo was the favorite, and Buffalo, I believe, was the co-favorite, and they beat both of those teams pretty handily and put up 80-plus points. And the thing about Virginia and they they have uh, they deserve this um, this type of uh, reputation because year after year uh, Tony Bennett has had top notch defenses. But this year, this Virginia team, Kevin, is not vintage defensively. They are slow. They have the slowest tempo in the country at three fifty seven. However, their offense, believe it or not, is better than their defense when you look at uh, the metrics. So. I'm going to take the points with Ohio in that first round matchup. It's the 4-13 matchup in the West region. And I'll just say this. I know people will try to poke holes into Gonzaga. I was having a discussion on, I think it was Friday night with, uh, let's just say, a a buddy of mine who's not that into college basketball. And he said, well, you know, uh, Gonzaga, who do they play? I said, well, you know, let's break down the roster. They've got Jalen Suggs, who's a top five pick. They've got Corey Kispert, who's an All-American. They've got Drew Timmy, who's a, a borderline 
All-American. And they've got Andrew Nemhart transfer from Florida who would start on any other team in the country. So let's not play the, oh, they're they've, not that good they've, game. They have three potential first-round picks. Yeah, um, let's let's not do that. So, yeah, I think the draw for Gonzaga in the West is, is pretty manageable. But my first takeaway was I, I like Ohio in this matchup against Virginia. And then you've got right. the COVID situation exactly. because we don't know what the hell is going on there and who will be available to play. Well, um, average minds think alike, all right, because (laughs) one of the first things that jumped out to me, and I've got a couple of friends, one in particular, a very close friend who is just a massive UVA guy, and I I love the Virginia people, and I'm so glad they got their national championship. I love Tony Bennett, Um, too, by the way. I love Tony Bennett, um, but I think the COVID situation plus the fact that Ohio can play, and that line went open to 10, jumped to 8. You talk about sharp money moving the line down. I loved Ohio from the jump. I think they can win that game outright so that was your first and I agree with you the first the first thing that jumped out to me was one of the first four games because I love Tom Mizzo he's one of my all-time favorite coaches um, and I think Michigan State, you know, coming off a couple of weeks where they took out two number one seeds and a number two seed all right to make the field Maryland swept them in the process mm-hmm. Um uh, they're laying a point and a half against UCLA, and the world is going to be on Michigan State in this first four game. So the first thing that jumped out at me was UCLA. And the thing is, is I kind of like it with what I've watched because I love Michigan State, and I think Michigan State has been one of the best programs for you know the, the Izzo era. But he's lost early. You know, They lost to Mason, remember, the year that Mason went to the Final Four? They lost to Middle Tennessee State. Got their ass kicked by Two fifteen game, um, and they, th- this is not a good Michigan State team. I know they beat Illinois. I know they beat Ohio State. I know they beat Michigan in the last two and a half weeks, and it's just pure toughness and coaching. And you know, this is th- they don't have enough. Um, to, to make a deep run. This is not an Izzo team that's capable of making a deep run, in my opinion, even though they are out of by far and away the best league, not even comparable. The first thing that jumped out to me in terms of a, a not, not an upset necessarily, but a line that stunk is I like UCLA in this first four game. Give me your next one that stuck out. There is one, currently, there is only one Seed that is that is a higher seed that is a favorite. Rutgers, boom! Rutgers is laying a point mm-hmm. against Clemson, and Van Pelt last night on his show said, "Huh, Rutgers is a favorite. That's interesting." Uh, and you know, like minds uh, think think alike here. So uh, I like Rutgers against Clemson. That's in the the Midwest region. Uh, like I said, Rutgers. If you look at the entire bracket uh, now, Virginia Tech and Florida, another seven ten. That's mm-hmm. a pick. Uh, but Rutgers is the only higher seeded team that is currently favorite in the entire bracket. And I think Rutgers takes care of, of Clemson. Uh, I, I, you know, I've gone back and forth with Clemson this year. Sometimes I like them. Sometimes I don't. Um, they, they've been kind of a bizarre team. I think they got overseeded to be honest, Kevin. I, you know, this is a team that is strong defensively uh, bowed out in the ACC tournament to a really Bad Miami team, not very good, all banged up. Uh, they're known for their defense, can't score, uh, can't score whatsoever. So I, I like Rutgers in this spot in a 7-10 matchup. First time Rutgers has been dancing since 1991. I'm a huge Steve Peichel fan, uh, what he's been able to do. Um, but uh, yeah, I like I like Rutgers. I think they have they have enough talent to uh, to get it rolling offensively. 
they're a really good defensive team too. Uh, if you look at the metrics, top 20 in, in uh, defensive efficiency. So uh, this is probably going to be a low-scoring game, but I like Rutgers in a 7-10 matchup. Take the 10-seed Rutgers down in the Midwest region. Uh, Rutgers, the only higher seed, currently a favorite in the field of 60. Yeah, and that's unusual. We see sometimes, ten, you know, it's certainly nines over eights, tens over sevens, and we've seen 11s over six, you know, sometimes. Uh, you yeah. know sometimes. Um, I, uh, so your Ohio, you know, hit me. The Rutgers thing, I actually think the line is right. Um, that's the thing about that game. I, I expected them to sort of be a favorite. I think Clemson, Clemson, if I actually wanted Clemson for Maryland's first opponent, and Clemson killed Maryland early in the year in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but Clemson's very up and down, and they can struggle to score. Um, and you know they lost the game to Virginia by thirty-five points. It's probably Virginia's most impressive win of the year. Um, but the game that I will give you. Um, that sticks out there. There, There's several, but I really, I don't think Texas Tech is very good. They're laying a very short number to to a Utah State team that is very capable, that knocked off Colorado State the other night in sort of that playing game. I think Texas Tech, you know, the national champion champion runner-up, and by the way, Chris Beard's an outstanding coach. I could see them losing that game outright. I think Tech's really... Um, a team that they, I've uh, put it this way: I've had them too much this year and lost. Mm-hmm. You know, like against Texas the other night, and they lost by a point. Had them against Baylor um, in in the fairly short number, um, and they did didn't get it done. I don't love Texas Tech coming into this tournament. I think Utah State has a chance to win that game outright. And by the way, public all over a Texas Tech team that remember the last time we saw the, a, a tournament, they were in the final game and losing in overtime to Virginia. So that one stuck out. Give me one more, um, and I'll give you one more, and then we'll we'll get to uh, some of the bigger picture tournament bracket takeaways. Yeah, just uh, real quickly going back to the Texas Tech-Utah State game. By the way, Utah State was, uh, was at the South Point. Uh, that's where they stayed during the Mountain West tournament, and they were still there. So I saw all their players walking up to go into a conference room uh, I was hoping that they'd show them on CBS last night because they were very much a bubble team. Yeah. And uh, they got the, the, uh, the committee gave them a, a break. I, I thought at, at best they were going to be in the first four and, and they jumped over that and, and they get a, uh, a manageable first round matchup. And you mentioned that Colorado state game. Uh, it was very late uh, back, uh, back East on Friday night. Uh, they just suffocated Colorado state and Colorado state's a good team. Uh, the the big boy Nemus Kata is a freaking monster. I mean, he had eight blocks in that game. Uh, he'll be a fun one to watch in that game. So I think there is a bit of a a mismatch there. Um, the one game uh, that kind of jumped out at me, Kevin, uh, and backing the favorite a bit was Florida State against UNC Greensboro. Uh, Lo- you know, I love Wes Miller. Hell of a I coach. Love, I love him too. I hate this matchup for him. Because Florida State, we've seen this before. Remember a couple years ago, Murray Murray State made a – I forget who they upset in the first round, but then they got Florida State in the second round. And Florida State can throw so much size and length at you, and that's what troubles me about this. I think they could kick the shit out of UNC Greensboro. Uh, I I, I like UNC Greensboro. Isaiah Miller is their best player. He's a six-foot guard. He's a beast. If you watch the SoCon Championship, he had like – 30 points. He's really good. But uh, 
the 11 and a half or 11 there for Florida State. You know, we, neither you or I really love laying big numbers, um, but that one is uh, jumping out at me. Uh, I'm sure we'll jump into some others, but, um, you know, Creighton, UC Santa Barbara, uh, UC Santa Barbara is pretty damn good. And this number has sunk like a rock yep. in favor of UC Santa Barbara. And then Villanova and Winthrop, I think we found our square dog in the first round. Everybody's going to be on Winthrop. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Uh, but that is another number that is now sitting at six. Yeah, that's where I was going to go next. Um, with Villanova's injuries, with the way they finished the season, if you know anything about Winthrop, they're 23-1. and one. Um, This is going to be the, uh, the matchup in the first round where everybody's on the underdog and everybody's predicting that in their, in their brackets as an upset. You know, I, I you know sometimes I've done this before in the first round, and I've taken a favorite against a massively popular, you know, twelve seed over a five or you know a, a, an eleven over a six, and actually, you know, the team really deserved the props. Um, Nova is still explosive uh, offensively. I like Nova. The public, believe it or not, will be all over Winthrop in this game. All over. And so I'll lay the six um, with Nova. There's one other game just just from a matchup standpoint. Um, I actually think Wisconsin can really slow Carolina down. Um, and Carolina's big, but Wisconsin's got size too. And I like Greg Gard over Roy Williams in that game. And I, Wisconsin's catching you know, a number that's pretty short. Um uh, it's a point, point and a half or something like that. I think Wisconsin and I think the Big Ten in general is going to do really well in this tournament. Um, but that's where we're going to go next. Tim Murray joining me here on the podcast. I've got 10 takeaways from the actual bracket itself. Tim's got some as well, and I'll have him respond to some of mine. We'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. All right, I I jotted down 10 thoughts last night from the bracket um, and just random uh, thoughts that I had about the bracket, about some of the matchups, about some of the matchups that I'm hoping to see. Tim Murray is with me. I'm going to go through them, and I want you to respond, and then you can add. Number one is this. I thought the bracket was fine. I don't think there was any reason for me, for any outrage. Like Louisville, to me, I, to be honest with you, and I've questioned the, the profiles of some of the ACC teams this year, including Virginia. Like, who did they beat? You know, Louisville, who did they beat? They didn't beat anybody, really. And they missed out on, on some possibilities during their COVID pause. Um, but, you know, they beat Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. That's basically it. They lost earlier this year by 40 to Wisconsin. By 40. And I love Carleek Jones because he was about to come to Maryland and changed his mind at the last minute, and he would have been a massive difference maker for Maryland this year. He was the transfer from Radford. I think he made first-team All-ACC. Um, they didn't deserve it resume-wise, resume so I don't have any problem with Louisville not making the field. Here were my very minor gripes, and they're seeding gripes. Syracuse should have been in the first four, not Michigan State. You know, when you beat two number one seeds and a number two seed in the last two and a half weeks, um, I thought Michigan State would have been comfortably in the last four by category, and I didn't know that Syracuse was going to make the field. I don't think that Syracuse is a is a major problem. They're very capable offensively, and Buddy Beheim can flat out shoot it. Um, but I thought Syracuse should have been in the first four, not where they were seated. I think Drake is better than Syracuse, personally, when Drake's healthy. Um uh, there was okay. Two other seating complaints. 
Oklahoma State shouldn't have been a four. They should have been higher. That's number one. Number two is this. The ACC tournament champion, Georgia Tech, who's won eight games in a row, and Tim, I don't know if you've been on them. I've been on them a lot recently, and they have I was treat- on them against Florida State. They have treated me well. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, they are eight and one in their last nine against the number. They've won eight in a row. They're better than a nine seed, and that is a hell of a first-round game with Loyola Chicago, a hell of a first-round game. You know, Georgia Tech has one of my favorite players in the tournament, Jose Alvarado. If you haven't seen him play, he was the defensive player of the year in the ACC. He is one of the most he's one of the fiercest competitors in college basketball. Um I he's a badass. He averaged 3 steals a game and had 7 games this year of 5 or more steals. Had 5 in the ACC finals against Florida State Saturday night. I love his game. I think Tech would be a problem for almost anybody, but they get Loyola Chicago in the first round and then Illinois in the second round if they can win that game, which you know isn't necessarily a lock, but I I, I think Georgia Tech was very underseeded. I think they, they deserve two spots higher as the ACC tournament champion and a team that proved late in the year that they're going to be a problem for anybody. So overall, my number one takeaway, I don't have any problems with the bracket really. You know, I don't I, I don't think you can make a real case that anybody was really, you know, jobbed by being left out. I just think that Syracuse was a bit o- overseeded, and I think that Georgia Tech and Oklahoma State were underseeded. What do you think? Um, yeah, I'll start with uh, teams left out. Um, you know, Louisville, Colorado State, uh, those teams, you know, you had your chance. Colorado State, we mentioned it before, essentially had a play-in game against Utah State in the semifinals in the Mountain West, and they shot 25% from the field. Uh, I was on Colorado State that night, and they just got (laughs) suffocated. So, uh, yeah, I have no issues with teams in or out. Um, I do think that, you know, Syracuse getting that first bye was was very surprising. Um, Yeah, to your point, Michigan State does not deserve to be in the first four when you have the high profile. To me, it, it should be based off of your ceiling and your big wins. And when you've beaten Michigan, Illinois, and Ohio State, uh, you deserve to be in the first bye. Uh, what has Syracuse done uh, to deserve a bye into the, into the field? Um, I'll kind of I'll echo the sentiments that you have. I think Loyola and Georgia Tech, both of them got jobbed uh, with, their, with their matchup. I agree. Uh, Loyola shouldn't be an eight seed. They're number nine in Ken Palm. Um, you know, the analytics love this team. Uh, they're really, really good. And I think that Illinois kind of got screwed, too, by getting this 8-9 matchup. I you know? agree. It's a trickle-down effect. Illinois, in my opinion, should be the second overall seed in this field. They're the third, uh, but they got screwed. I mean, that's a really challenging 8-9 uh, winner, whoever comes out of that. So I think Illinois... Uh, really got screwed over by the matchup that they have there. Not in to the mention a round. Sweet 16 matchup against an Oklahoma State team that to me was underseeded. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. Oklahoma State, you think about the way that they've been playing. How is Oklahoma State a four and West Virginia, the team they just beat twice, once without Cade Cunningham right. on the road? On the road. How- how is West Virginia a three seed and Oklahoma State is a four seed? Oh, by the way, they get Liberty. Liberty is a capable team, uh, as, as you would like to say. Um, and then um, other great BYU shouldn't be a six. They, BYU, yeah, I want I wanted, I wanted Maryland to get uh, BYU in a in a ten seven game. I was hoping for that. I was actually hoping for a rematch with Clemson. 
Um, the UConn game, um, I think, is going to be a very difficult game. But we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. All right, takeaway number two for me. The Big Ten got the most with nine teams, deserve the most. And as I look at the Big Ten, and I just told you that I think I'll probably bet UCLA against Michigan State. Michigan State's not only going to be a fav- their favorite over UCLA, they'll be a favorite if they win that game over BYU as an 11 over a 6. Trust me. If Michigan State wins that first-round game against UCLA, I bet they're a three-point favorite over BYU as an 11 over 6. So there would be your other you know, lower-seeded team being favored over a higher-seeded team. I think seven of the nine Big Ten teams are favored to win their first-round games. Um, I think it's very possible that all nine Big Ten teams could end up in the round of 32. And again, I like UCLA because I think they're a major anti-public play. And so, and I don't think Michigan State's that awesome, but I think they would beat BYU if they if they survived UCLA. I think it's very possible that all nine teams from the Big Ten could make the round of 32. And I would bet you that no less than five are in the Sweet 16 with maybe four in the Elite Eight. It is the best league. Now that takes me to t- uh, uh, takeaway number three, and then I'll let you weigh in on the conference things. Um, I, the ACC got seven teams. I think five of them could lose in the first round. Um, and I think Florida State is basically their best and maybe only hope to reach the Sweet 16. I I, I think UVA, we've already talked about it, the Ohio game. I totally agree with you. It's the combination of their COVID situation and Ohio can play, and they've got one of the best stories, which I tweeted out last night. Go to at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. I I watched this story as it unfolded earlier in the year as Ohio played Illinois. The story of Jason Preston is one of the best stories of the year. He's really good. Ohio can play. Remember, too, Ohio knocked out Georgetown a few years ago as as a 14 over a three. They've been dangerous. You know, that the Mac teams have always been dangerous. Um, I, I love Georgia Tech, but again, I think they're underseeded, which means they could lose in the first round to Loyola and then they get Illinois. Um, North Carolina, I like Wisconsin to beat North Carolina outright. Syracuse actually might beat San Diego State. Virginia Tech and Florida, that's another game that reeks to me. I think I think the public will be on Florida. I think Clemson could lose to Rutgers. I think the ACC, you know, as I watched them all year, and look, I, I'm, it's not that I'm out to get the ACC because I'm no longer in it, um, and that all of a sudden I've become a real Big Ten believer, which I have. The Big Ten's the best league by far this year. I just think the Big Ten could literally dominate this tournament, and the ACC could be out early. Those were uh, another. That was take number two and take number three. You say what? Yeah. I, I love Illinois. I mean, I know they're the Big Ten champ. I rode them to the championship. I mean, since this team, when they lost Ayu Desumu, uh, something happened with them, and he comes back, and they're even better. Uh, I don't love their draw. The potential of that second-round matchup's a challenge. Then you might get Oklahoma State, who has the best player talent-wise in the country. Uh, so the draw is challenging uh, for Illinois to make a run here. Um, you know, one thing about the uh, about Iowa is I twofold. They can't defend, and I don't trust Fran McCaffrey in the NCAA tournament. And I think the potential of playing Oregon in the second round, Kevin, is that's a challenging matchup there. They got long guards. Duarte is a stud. Um, you know, the question will be, can they slow down Luca Garza? Uh, but I, I think Iowa is in some trouble in the second round if they face a, a team like Oregon, who, by the way, that's a pretty big spread for a 7-10 game. Yep. We're talking about pick one. Oregon's laying six yep, to VCU. against VCU. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, you know, for Maryland, and I'm sure we'll dive into Maryland a little bit more. Um, UConn's been a team that I said, when they get healthy, they're going to be a, a pain to, to deal with. And then everybody jumped on the UConn bandwagon, which kind of annoyed me uh, because, you know, just book night was back and they had a couple nice wins. Uh, but that, that is a, you know, of the, of the seven seeds to draw, you would have much, you know, oh, yeah. I rather agree. had Clemson or, like you said, BYU probably should have been on the seven line. I would have taken Florida, and I think BYU should have been on the seven line. Those were the teams I was rooting for. I'll tell you what I was worried about. I was worried about Carolina being a 7-10 matchup because Maryland, Wisconsin can deal with size better than Maryland can, and I think that would have been a problem. Um, I – I just I think the Big Ten has a chance. You know, you're look Iowa. If you've watched the Big Ten like I have, night in and night out, Iowa can't guard, um, but man, can they score? And I think when they get out of this league and they're not as well scouted, I think you know. Look, they they got blown out by Gonzaga, so I do not see them beating Gonzaga in an Elite Eight game. But I think they can beat the Oregon VCU winner. I think Kansas is playing awfully well. We'll have to see, you know, what kind of state they're in um, after, you know, missing some games. But I do think that um, Iowa can make a deep run and can outscore people. And by the way, Jordan Bohannon, and I'll mention some players. I think he's he's the kind of guy that could have a massive tournament with some big, big shots. Um, well, you think it, the thing about Oregon is they had two COVID shutdowns. Um, the 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 loss to Oregon State was was pretty surprising to me. Uh, the way they were really just not even competitive in that game. But uh, you look at Oregon since they kind of got right past COVID, uh, they they got on a roll. Now, the Pac-12, I'm not comparing it to the Big Ten or the Big 12. It's not nearly the conference that that those are. But I, I do think that Oregon and Iowa, the potential of that second-round matchup is very intriguing. Um, and it, it's going to be a short number. It's going to be shorter than most people expect uh, because I think there's a belief in Dana Altman uh, they've got talent on that roster. Uh, so if Oregon gets past VCU, I think that'll be a short line. And then, you know, to your question, to your point about Kansas, uh, we don't know about McCormick. He was the one who really has thrived here lately, yep. their big man. And he was uh, out of the Big 12 tournament due to COVID reasons. And if we get Kansas USC, USC is massive. I mean, with the Mobley brothers, I mean, they've got a top five pick in. Yeah, in they can, they can lay an egg though, man. Oh, very sure, easily. absolutely. They laid. I mean, <laughs> I didn't say they laid an egg against Colorado. They got back. You know, yeah. they needed double overtime to beat Utah, which was surprising. But Evan Mobley is a is a lot of fun to watch. They've got you know their front court of the Mobley brothers is seven foot and six ten. So a second round matchup with their length and their size against Kansas could be. Could be interesting there. I wouldn't be surprised if USC made it to the Sweet 16. All right. Um, so I'm going to ask you for your favorite second-round matchup. You may have already given it to me. Um, the first-round game you're looking forward to the most. For me, it's I've already mentioned it. It's Georgia Tech, Loyola, Chicago. Cameron Crutwig is a freshman when Loyola with Sister Jean and company went to the Final Four. I fell in love with him as a player. I'm like, oh my God, I play. I think I just played with a dude like him at Bethesda Sport and <laughs> Health over the weekend. You know, seriously, he's got the old man game, 6'10", a vertical leap of maybe two and a half inches, but great hands, great feet, great vision, great high, super high IQ player, four-year player at Loyola. He was the player of the year in the Missouri Valley, and he's going to play 
play against, to me, Jose Alvarado, one of my favorite players in college basketball. I can't wait to see that game. I think it's a great game, first-rounder. I think both teams, as we both mentioned, um, are, were underseeded. I don't have a good feel for who will win that game. I, I really like the way Tech's been playing, and I think Alvarado is just a thief and can completely disrupt a game. Um, he's really amazing. But like you said, the metrics love Loyola Chicago in part because they destroyed teams, you know, at one point. They had, I'll never forget, I sat here on a Saturday, um, and they were playing Drake in the first matchup against Drake. And I think they were laying four and a half or five or something like that. And I didn't play it. And then the game was really tight at halftime, and I played them on the second half line, and they won by like 20. You can look it up. I forget exactly what it was. And then the next, and the next day... They got beat in a 51-50 game. That's why I like Drake, too. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they were missing Roman Penn in some of those games, which hurt them. But I that matchup to me, Georgia Tech-Loyola-Chicago, must-watch first-round game. Give me the first-round game you're looking forward to the most. I tweeted out, you know, how these games are, and they're based in, you know, they each have their own time slot, right? So there's like four games in each time yeah. slot. So I, I picked my my favorite game in each time slot, and I tweeted it out. Georgia Tech Loyola, for those wondering, will be at 4 o'clock on Friday. Uh, that'll be on TBS. So I, I'm very much – that was on my list of games. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you one that I just – if you like points, I love the matchup for this one. Arkansas. It, it's the first, yeah, it's in the first uh, window. So you, the second game on Friday, 1245, Colgate and Arkansas, yeah. two teams that run, that can shoot. What's the total? Uh, I haven't even looked at it. Kevin, it's been bet up seven points already. Has it really? What is 162 it? 162 and a half. Oh, okay. It is the highest total on that board. So it might be one of those situations. I was talking to uh, – a gentleman who was setting lines last night, he said he likes the under in this game. I mean, that'll take uh, – Oh, you're getting value take, now. Yeah, mm. I mean, it has been bet all the way up to uh, – it was like 154 is where it opened, and now it's sitting there at 162.5. So it's been bet up seven points from uh, – the opener was 155.5. I'm looking at it right now. So I love Colgate-Arkansas. And then I'll give you a game on uh, another 8-9 game that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, St. Bonaventure and LSU. Uh, I think this could be a really fun game. Uh, LSU, I think most people watched on Sunday, uh, take care of business. Um, or Sorry, I didn't take care of business, but got in a, in a hell of a game Alabama. against Alabama. Back and forth, very athletic team, very similar uh, to to what we've seen of, of LSU in past. And St. Bonnie, man, that team that team could play. Uh, they, they handled VCU both times they played them. Uh, the Bonnies are incredibly well coached. They'll have the coaching advantage in that game, no doubt. Mark Schmidt is is one of the better coaches in the country doing what he does with, with his, his skill set and his players. They've really rolled through the A-10 uh, tournament. Um, you know, they beat a decent Duquesne team by double figures. They suffocated St. Louis, which I was surprised about. I'm high on St. Louis. And then they beat VCU by nine. So uh, that'll be a Friday game, Bonnies and LSU. 8-9 in the East region that I'm looking forward to. I remember you. You were high on St. Louis. You texted me one night and said St. Louis, and it wasn't even close. It got absolutely clobbered. I forget when it was, but I didn't play it. But I remember that, you know, because you and I text back and forth, and we we give each other some pretty good yeah. advice, and then sometimes it doesn't go so well. Texas um, over the weekend. Yeah. Um, 
so we already both sort of agreed that Ohio over Virginia would be, you know, our big first round upset possibility. So number six on my list of 10 takeaways from the bracket, best second round matchup, the one that I want to see the most, you know, I've harped on Georgia Tech Loyola versus Illinois, the winner. So I'll go to my, my other one. I actually think the UConn-Maryland winner has a shot against Bama and that that's a really good second-round game. I don't know who's going to – obviously, I want Maryland to win the game, and I think Maryland has a shot. I think it's a very, very difficult matchup for both teams because they're both very similar in that they're both very good defensive teams. Um, And, you know, part of me says we can throw Daryl Morsell and Book Knight and we can win that game. But I think the winner of that has a chance against Bama. You know, Bama's one of these teams, they're super athletic. They – Nate Oates basically says – you know, uh, first guy that's open, go ahead. I mean, I'm not going to sit you for any bad shot. I want to play fast. And both UConn and Maryland have a chance to slow Bama down and frustrate them. So I think that that is a second-round matchup for obvious reasons if it's Maryland. that I, I But I just think that that's a very interesting second-round matchup in what would be a 2-versus-7 or 2-versus-10 game. Yeah, I think there's a couple two seeds. I mentioned Iowa already, uh, and I agree on Alabama. I think that that are ripe for an upset. And when you look at Alabama, um, you know, one thing that jumps out at me, as you mentioned, Nate Oates, and I love Nate Oates. I mean, what's not to love about the dude? He he doesn't give a crap, and you saw him yesterday telling uh, telling the LSU bench to get the F out of here. I mean, yep. this dude doesn't care, and it's great. And they're high tempo. They got some dudes. Herb Jones, that dunk that he had yesterday yesterday was, was remarkable. Uh, Shackelford's really good. But how many times have we seen it, Kevin? Teams that rely almost solely on the three get, uh, get bounced early. 47% of their possessions end with a three-point attempt. Think about that. 47%. Yeah, they got some guys that can dunk on you, too. And they'll chase it on the offensive glass, too. And they they can defend. Uh, You know, the the metrics love them defensively. But uh, I think, especially, you know, if it's UConn with the talent that they have, I think they could give Alabama uh, a run there in the second round. Um, Yeah, I'll, I'll go to the game that I already mentioned. I think Iowa and Oregon, really, you could get a live dog in that second round matchup if Oregon beats VCU, which I think they will. And I think the numbers indicating might win that pretty comfortably. Um, I like Dana Altman quite a bit. I think they'd have the coaching advantage uh, over Fran McCaffrey there. Uh, as, as, as all your listeners know, watching Iowa a handful of times, I mean, they, they can score with anybody. Uh, their defense is absolutely a massive question mark. Uh, one of the worst defensive teams uh, in that, you know, top 10 region, um, you know, two, two offensive efficiency, 50 in defensive yeah. efficiency. So I think Oregon has the potential to, uh, to take them out with the talent that they have. So I think that is a second round matchup to keep an eye on Oregon and Iowa. I think if that matchup happens, Kevin, that will be a, a shorter line than people expect. The real issue with Iowa defensively, unlike many teams in the Big Ten, is they have a real difficult time keeping people in front of them on the perimeter. And then while Garza is a phenomenal offensive big man, he's not a true rim protector um, defensively. All right, uh, takeaway number seven. The second weekend games, or game or games, and I've got two of them, that you'd want to see either Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. I'll go first. 
I would love to see West Virginia-Houston in a Sweet 16 game. That would be the rock fight of all rock fights. I mean, it would be a war. Um, two of my favorite coaches in Huggins and Sampson, all they do is win, and they win ugly. They win with defense. They win with pressure. Um, I would love to see that game. I would very much um, like to see um, a um, – uh, you know, a, a, a Purdue with their size, um, and they've got two, you know, big men in Travion Williams and Edie, a 7'4 guy. I would very much like to see a Purdue Baylor Sweet 16 game. I think Purdue is well coached. I think they're better than most people think. Um, and I think Purdue could actually make a run to the final four. Um, and then the last one is hold on, where is it here? Um, just Illinois versus a yeah. West Virginia or Houston um, in, in an Elite Eight game would be a phenomenal Elite Eight matchup. Illinois, I agree with you. I think they're the second-best team in the country right now behind Gonzaga, and I think they got a brutal draw. Um, they're going to be tested. They're certainly capable of beating everybody that they play. But an Illinois-Houston or Illinois-West Virginia Elite Eight matchup would be phenomenal. Give me the second weekend matchup you want to see the most. All right, I got I got a couple, but I, I want to go back to Purdue because I know you're a big Matt Painter guy, yeah. as am I. Um, he deserves to be questioned very, very harshly for his decision to pull out Travion Williams in overtime against Ohio State. Well, he was going offense-defense there. For that me. was the reason they yeah. lost that game, is he put in Edie, and Edie couldn't do a matchup. And, and you know, Travion Williams is the reason they got back in that game. No he doubt. was a beast. He kept feeding him. And I understand the offensive-defense scenario. It's With been done time trouble. and time yeah. again. But, man, taking him out was, in my opinion, the reason they lost that game. But speaking of the team that beat them, uh, I think a, sec- a Sweet 16 matchup of Arkansas and Ohio State would be a ton of fun. Ohio mm-hmm. State, as we know, can score incredibly well, cannot defend at all. Uh, Dwayne Washington, the performance he put on yesterday to get Ohio State back in that game, I mean, that just took some big balls from him. Uh, but they lack in size, and I, I'm, I'm very high on Arkansas. I love Musselman. Me too. I, I, I love him. He gets the best out of his players. You think about how they started the season, uh, Kevin. They had a stretch uh, where they they went to LSU and to Alabama. They lost by 16 and 31. And after that, they flipped the script. They didn't lose another SEC game, including a win over Alabama that I think you and I were both on that night. Uh, and then they lost to LSU in the semifinals of the SEC tournament. But this is a team that gets up and goes uh, in Arkansas. Uh, I like their second-round matchup if they get past Colgate with either Texas Tech or Utah State. Uh, I do agree. I think Utah State could be a live dog there. But a Sweet 16 matchup of Arkansas and Ohio State could be really fun. I think Arkansas would win that game. And I I think Arkansas could be in the Elite Eight and maybe make a run to the Final Four. Uh, And Illinois-Oklahoma State would be – how much fun would that be? Yeah, it would be great. Uh, Oh, my God. I mean, Cade Cunningham – the thing I love about Cade Cunningham is that he has – as I just mentioned it with uh, Dwayne Washington. Bucket this getter. Is, and he is a guy, you know, we've seen these phenoms come in before that know they're great, know they're going to be the number one pick, and they don't give a shit. He cares. He wants to win. No doubt. He's a, he's a gamer, man. Love and watching. you saw him over the weekend. Uh, he had, what, two points in the first half um, in their uh, – it was the game against Baylor. He had two points in the first half. He had, like, 23 in the second half. 
uh, in the game against Oklahoma on that Saturday afternoon, he was just an unstoppable force. He gives a shit. And he wants to win. And they got dudes around him. I mean, this isn't, you know, Kansas State with Michael Beasley or USC with O.J. Mayo. This almost reminds me. Or Texas with Kevin Durant. Yeah. (laughs) This reminds me a little bit of Carmelo and Syracuse. Who The surrounding. Well, they're well coached, too. They're exceptionally well coached. Yeah, and, and Boynton, yeah, he's he's done yeah. a really nice job. Um, right. but, 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 yeah, so I would say Illinois, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, Ohio State, two games I'm really looking forward to in the Sweet Six. All right, I want to rip through these last three real quickly. Um, two, play, two players who aren't household names to most sports fans and even some college basketball fans that could make a name for themselves over the next month. Jose Alvarado, I've already mentioned him. I think he is one of the best and fiercest players in the draw. Love the way he plays. And the other one um, I will give you is actually James Booknight from UConn. I, I love, but Jaden Ivey also from Purdue, but you know, he was, you know, uh, one of the best freshmen in the country. But I think Booknight's really good for UConn. And I think if UConn beats Maryland, they can beat Alabama and they could be into that Sweet 16. So those are two names that not everybody knows that could become household names over the next you know couple of weeks. Give me one or two from from your end. Well, I'll give you uh yeah, I agree with Book Knight. I think, you know, people because he was hurt, people don't know the name all that much. Uh they're a seven seed. I, I love I love Book Knight and that's why I've been on but high on them. Um, you know, a name that I think we could see in a matchup potentially in the Sweet Sixteen. And if you're a college hoop fan, this isn't a name that is surprising. He was the preseason Big East player of the year. But Marcus Zagorowski is a dude. Yeah, he can play. He can play, man. And if they get past UCSB in that first round, Creighton, uh, the the fighting Zabes, Creighton. There, I just can't the, believe they uh, were down season. literally by they were down by thirty one points to Georgetown. 31. I was uh, I was I was doing the, uh, <laughs> I mean... the I was on dad duty on on Saturday. We were at a birthday party, and uh, you know a funny thing about Creighton and UConn. I had a future on on UConn. Uh, three to one to win the Big East. So I, what I said was, well, I'm going to hedge off in the semis because whoever wins this game is going to beat Georgetown. So <laughs> I hedged hard on Creighton. So I ended up making some money and I would have lost money because yeah. I wouldn't have bet the game because Creighton got smoked right. by Georgetown. But I do think Marcus Zagorowski uh, is a name to know. And, and you know, Chris Duarte for Oregon, uh, I know I keep going back to them, in a matchup against Iowa, I think that's a name. If they can pull that upset off, you're going to know the name Chris Duarte. I think he has the capabilities of of, uh, of going off a little bit there. So uh, those are two guys I, I would keep an eye on. Uh, you know, you know, it's the name that we know in the D.C. area, um, and they could get bounced in the first round, but couldn't you see a guy like Mac McClung having a, a crazy yep. yeah. offensive game? I think there's a chance, and I think Aaron um, t- you know, tweeted this out. I mean, it was close. Texas Tech could have been a five playing Georgetown 12. That would have been crazy. By the way, Andre Corbello, the way he's developed at Illinois. So he much is, fun. He is really, um, I mean, in many ways, he's almost a bigger threat than DeSumo is for Illinois. And a lot of people, if you, if you haven't been paying attention to the whole season, don't know how good he is. All right, last two. Um, you already mentioned one, and I agree with you. Uh, give me the coach in the field that you love because he gets more out of less. You mentioned Musselman, and I and I mentioned Painter. Um, I will give you one more since we we mentioned those two guys. 
I love what Greg Gard's going to get out of Wisconsin in this tournament. I really think Wisconsin's dangerous because it's hard to play them if you haven't played them, if you haven't scouted them. They've got guys that are all 24, 25 years old. None of them are spectacular, although Demetric Trice can really play. Um, but give me an, give, we both mentioned Musselman and Painter. Give yep. me another coach in the field that you love because he just consistently gets more out of less. Uh, well, I like Dana Altman. Yeah. I, I always think he gets the most out of his players, uh, the Oregon Ducks, but I've mentioned them a lot. Uh, I'm fascinated to see what St. Bonaventure is going to do against LSU. Uh, Mark Schmidt is a coach I don't think many people know up there in middle of nowhere, upstate New York. Uh, but the Bonnies have some dudes. Kyle Lofton is a stud guard. Uh, a, a Sunni, their big man, is really good. And they don't, they're not deep at all, which makes me a little nervous going up against uh, Will Wade. But I think Will Wade versus uh, Mark Schmidt is a massive coaching advantage to St. Bonaventure. Massive. All right. So they don't have the athletes. That, that's what makes me worried. And, and Bonnie doesn't have much depth. But Mark Schmidt is a hell of a coach. Last um, ten, takeaway number 10, which is just first blush final four. Here's mine. You ready? Yep. It's, a, it's Big Ten dominated. <laughs> Illinois versus Purdue. I think Baylor's in a little bit of trouble. They have not played well recently coming off that pause, and I think Purdue can make a run. I got Illinois versus Purdue, and I do have Michigan, although a lot of people are down on them right now. I've got Michigan facing Gonzaga. I've got um, Illinois over Purdue, and I've got Gonzaga over Michigan, and I've got Illinois over Gonzaga in the final. That's Ooh. first blush. Um, I think it's going to be – they've got the hardest draw. I think it will really prepare them. But I've got three Big Ten teams, Illinois, Purdue, Michigan, all in the final four, Gonzaga beating Illinois in the final uh, – Illinois beating Gonzaga in the final. What do you got? Uh, I've got Gonzaga. I just like their I, – I like their bracket. I think they – they gave uh, the number one overall seed a pretty manageable bracket there. Uh, their second round matchup doesn't really scare me. Uh, their potential Sweet 16 matchup doesn't really scare me. And then who's going to come out of the bottom half of the bracket? I already mentioned I think Oregon could beat Iowa. So I think Gonzaga should really uh, – it would be a surprise if they don't get out of the West region. The East um, – I like Michigan. The Isaiah Livers thing scares me. I, I don't know if he's going to play. He's got a, uh, a stress fracture in his left foot. Uh, he did not play in the semifinal uh, of the Big Ten tournament against Ohio State. Um, and just to be a little different, and, and this scares me too, because I, I feel like Leonard Hamilton is great up until he's not. Um, but I think Florida State has the potential to come out of the East. So just to be a little different, different that would be my first blush. I'll take Arkansas out of the South. I think I like their their situation. Uh, and then um, I'll take Illinois in the, uh, in the Midwest. I'll have the same final as you, Zags and Illinois. But I'll go with, uh, I'll go with the Zags. I, I, I love this team. They're so talented. And uh, they proved early on in the year, Kevin, that they can, they can beat the crap out of anyone you put in front of them. Um, and uh, if they stay healthy, they've got a lottery pick and Jalen Suggs. They've got so many weapons. Uh, I'll say the Zags win it this year over Illinois. Still but- Arkansas, going Arkansas and taking a three and a, <clears throat> and a four, Arkansas and Florida State's pretty bold. And, yeah, I, just, and I took a four on Purdue. Yeah. Um, uh, so there you go. All right, uh, got to get to a break. When we come back, uh, my take, get Tim's as well on what happened between Juwan Howard and Mark Turgeon in that Friday quarterfinal between Michigan and Maryland. Right after this word from one of our sponsors. 
All right, Maryland um, lost to Michigan. Uh, we were in here doing a podcast on Friday and talked about how impressive they were beating Michigan State in that first round. You know, as it turns out, if Maryland had lost to Michigan State, Maryland probably would be in that first four game against UCLA on uh, Thursday night. Um, but they swept Michigan State at the end of the year, and they were solidly in the field as a 10. By the way, they they showed up late in on bracket selection. A lot of Maryland fans were, like, freaking out, like, are they going to get screwed? No. I never was worried, especially when I saw Michigan State as an 11. I, I knew Maryland was a 10 and in the field. Um, and I'll go over the matchup against UConn here in a moment. But I want to go back to Friday and the Turgeon versus Juwan Howard confrontation. Um, real quickly, though, on that game, Maryland had a 12-point lead against Michigan in the first half. Daryl Morsell was dominating that game, and he picked up his second foul and went to the bench. And I had Turgeon on the radio show this morning. You can go back and listen to it. And I asked him, I said, when they started cutting into that lead, did you think about putting Daryl back in? And he said, yeah, I made a mistake. I should have put Daryl back in. You know, it's, it's, it's an automatic default now, and this was never the case, Timmy, way back when. Coaches, when they're when they get a player that gets a second foul in the first half, they're done until the second half. I've never understood that. I would never think automatically my guy's sitting for the rest of the half. You know, because you can't if he's a really good player and it's a tight game, can you really afford to have him off the floor if he picks up his second foul with twelve minutes to go? So Marcel picked it up with about seven and a half to go. Um, and it totally changed the game. Mike Smith all of a sudden took over the basketball game and had one of the great statistical lines you will ever see in a college basketball game. 18 points, 15 assists, which was a Big Ten tournament record, by the way, um, and zero, zero turnovers. That's unbelievable. He also had five rebounds. Um 18 and 15, zero uh, point. He took the he had two steals too. Totally took the game over when Morcel went to the bench in the first half. And Maryland had so many wide open looks in the second half with their best shooters. Michigan played them in zone. I couldn't believe it. But Michigan won the game. Anyway, let's get to what a lot of people um talked about um from that game. A lot of Maryland people, a lot of Michigan people. Oh my God. I had no idea that there were so many Michigan basketball fans um, at, at like like there were, and how obsessed they are with things I don't know why they would be obsessed about. If I were a Michigan person, I'd be obsessed with the fact that my head football coach can't beat Ohio State. That's what I'd be obsessed with. But anyway, um, what happened, there's a root cause for what happened in the confrontation between Turgeon and Juwan Howard, and I will walk through this with you chronologically. Hunter Dickinson played at DeMatha, was a big-time recruit. Hunter Dickinson went to Michigan. He was recruited by Maryland. He was offered by Maryland. When Maryland played Michigan with Hunter Dickinson as a freshman on New Year's Eve for the first time this year, Hunter Dickinson said before the game that Maryland neither recruited him nor did they offer him. That was just not true. Um, Everybody in town knows that's not true. Now, there are degrees of being recruited, and it's a very gray area. Was he slighted? Maybe that Mark didn't show up for a certain game. or Maryland recruited him aggressively and offered him when he was a sophomore. It was very clear. Clear early on, I was told he was not coming to Maryland. He made it a big deal. He was obsessed with making it very clear that for whatever reason, he believed Maryland didn't recruit him and didn't offer him. And on that New Year's Eve night, 
He taunted Turgeon during the game from the floor, and he had a great game. And Michigan was dominant in that game in the second half. It's a very interesting thing. Maryland was up six in the second half, and Daryl Morcel got hurt. That was the game in which he had his facial bone fractured, <clears throat> and he ended up wearing that mask for um, missed a few games and wore the mask when he came back. And Michigan went on a run without Morcel in the game and ended up winning the game by eleven. But they were up by like fifteen or sixteen. They pulled away. I remember saying the next day, "Oh my God, Michigan is loaded." They are so good to me. They're the best team I've seen other than Gonzaga. Well, Dickinson taunted him the entire night, Turgeon. It was a big deal. Uh, if you if you followed this, you know that you know he'd hit a shot and he'd stare down Turgeon, pointed at him. This happened throughout the night. Turgeon did not go back at him, didn't even mention it, was asked about it, didn't mention it. Um, complimented Dixon, Dickinson after the game. And here's why. You can't look, you can't tell people the story and that the guy was not telling the truth when you got your ass kicked. So when, and not only that, he had 26 and 11 that night. So Mark totally handled it the right way. Uh, basically just complimented them, said they played great. They're really difficult to guard. Juwan's doing a great job. But he was not happy that Jawan Howard allowed it to happen and essentially said, hey, man, that's, you know, that's basketball. He let his freshman center taunt the opposing coach during the course of a game over something that was not true. Um, they played a second time, um, and Mark made it very clear to the league that he was not going to take it for a third time. Now, Dickinson did not taunt Turgeon again in the game on Friday. What happened on Friday, I gave you the backdrop for the tension between Howard and Turgeon and Maryland and Michigan, all right? Which, by the way, Turgeon never said boo about it publicly at any point this year. He let others speak on his behalf. You know, people that know what was going on and know that the kid, for whatever reason, was majorly obsessed with Maryland not recruiting him, even though they did. By the way, if I were a Michigan fan, I would wonder why the hell my, my freshman phenom is so obsessed with the team that didn't recruit him. How about just enjoy where you are and the team you're on because it's a really good fucking team, like capable of winning the national championship. It's almost like when Landon Collins got signed by Washington, I just couldn't believe how he could not get Dave Gettleman's name out of his mouth and couldn't stop talking about the Giants. He was so butthurt that the Giants wouldn't recruit him, wouldn't sign him, and I kept saying, hey, dude, you're on our team now. You're a Washington football team player. Get the Fuck the Giants and what you're going to do against the Giants for the rest of your career. We have, we have 14 other games during the year. And, and Dickinson, if I were a Michigan fan, I'd be like, why is he so obsessed with Maryland? We own them right now, which they do. Um, but anyway, what happened the other night was there was a call, and Juwan Howard explained this portion of it accurately. There was a call where the ball got knocked out of bounds off Galen Smith, and they gave it to Maryland anyway. It was actually a bad call. I went back and looked at it. Juwan Howard uh, starts complaining at the under-12 timeout to the officiating about the call. Juwan Howard, the way he explained it was that he had just barely, he was barely outside the coach's box, and Turgeon then said, hey, he's outside the coaching box, and that's when Juwan went to Turgeon and said, what, are we going to, we're going to complain about me being outside the coaching box? Well, the truth is, he wasn't just outside the coaching box. He had crossed half court, 
and was closer to Maryland's coaching box than his own. And that's why Turgeon said to the referee, hey, man, he's out of the coaching box. And Jawan Howard lost it. And according to multiple reports, Jawan Howard threatened to kill Mark Turgeon. He said, I'll fucking kill you. That's when Turgeon turned and went towards Juwan. Juwan says he charged him. He didn't really charge him. It's right there. That part of the the videotape is there. Turgeon definitely started pointing at him saying, don't you talk to me. I'm done talking to you. Don't you talk to me. After he was threatened. Maryland turned it into the league. And per usual, it's another situation where there are two schools in the Big Ten that matter more than anybody else, Michigan and Ohio State. Why? Because they generate most of the revenue. And the new commissioner, Warren, basically said, eh, we're not going to do anything about it. And it's the same situation you got with Kevin Warren, who, by the way, started the Big Ten season about a month after it should have been started due to COVID. Okay, Um, Kevin Warren, who, by the way, had a very high position with the Minnesota Vikings, took the job as the Big Ten commissioner, replacing a legend and decided he's not going to punish anybody, which, okay. And Turgeon, by the way, is not going to go public with any of this. He won't. He will not. Um, But that's what happened on Friday. And for you Maryland fans, it's, oh, we just found our new Duke. Uh, not, Not for me. Michigan's really good. And they have owned us three straight times this year. There's no doubt. The game on Friday was a, was a competitive game. Maryland led by 12 in the first half. They cut it to five with four and a half to go or five minutes to go and had legitimate chances to get back into that. Michigan State is the one team, and I don't know that anybody in the Big Ten is ever going to view Maryland as a rival. We just don't have that that length of time or tradition. You know, it, we it, our, our, our rivals are back in our old league where we were for 50-some years. It'll take a lot of time. But I, I, beating Michigan State twice at the end of the year, to me, was awesome. Michigan hasn't meant anything to me. Michigan State's the, the blue blood program in the league. Indiana obviously hasn't been very good. Michigan's more like, you know, having a rivalry with UVA, which Maryland had a rivalry with. But it's not Duke or Carolina. Now, I will tell you this. If Maryland plays Michigan at Xfinity Center next year, and that game is, if they do have that game, I don't know what the schedule is. Hopefully they'll schedule it for when the students are back. Um, Juwan Howard um, and Hunter Dickinson, if he's still playing for them, will get the full J.J. Redick Coach K treatment. It will be <laughs> it will be a scene, man. If Michigan plays in College Park next year, you know, after the end of January when the students are back, It'll be one of those heated Xfinity Center crowds that you won't forget if you're there. You'll want to be at that one. But damn, Michigan's good. They're so good. And they're better than Maryland. They're a lot better than Maryland right now. They are. Um, But, you know, uh, I don't know why Hunter Dickinson's so obsessed with not getting recruited. I don't know how many of you. My God, I've never... I had so many Michigan people responding to some of my stuff on Twitter. I had no idea they cared so much. You know, it's a football school that can't beat its uh, chief rival, can't even come close to beating its rival. They've been owned by Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State is, you know, a legitimate upper-tier college football program. Michigan's now been relegated to, what, third tier? Something like that in terms of a college program, football program. And, you know, I'm not trying to hurt you. That's just fact. 
You know, that's just, you know, Jim Harbaugh has not gotten it done at Michigan, period. That's got to hurt you more than Maryland fans, you know, complaining about Hunter Dickinson. I mean, enough of that already. You guys are, have been great, and Beeline was one of my favorite coaches, and you played in two national championship games in the last 10 years. We haven't done that. Uh, but the last title won by anybody playing in the Big Ten currently was won by Maryland. That was the last time a big a team currently playing in the Big Ten won a national championship. Michigan's last came in 1989. Um, really good program. Uh, really good team. Excellent team. And Juwan's doing a great job. Doing a great job. I don't see, for me, making Michigan our Duke. First of all, I don't think Michigan will care as much because they've got their own rivals and foot, they're a first they're a football first school. So it's not a it's not an you got to you got to look at the basketball first schools as potential rivals. Indiana, you know, um Purdue, uh Michigan State um to a certain degree. Um you know, in terms of their they they're the they're the the only team in in the Big 10 that is a is close to Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas. It's not Michigan. It's Michigan State. And it, obviously, Tim Wright was Indiana for a long time, but it's mm-hmm. been a long time for Indiana. But Indiana is a basketball first school, like Maryland is. You know, the Big Ten is a football league, um, but there's still a couple of basketball first schools in the Big Ten. And you start with Maryland, obviously, and Indiana. You know, the, the you know Ohio State and and in Michigan and Penn State and Nebraska and you know uh, I, I, Wisconsin's probably football first, right? Uh, yeah. And Michigan so. State, you know, for a lot of those people, it's probably football first. But their program, their basketball program, has been so good. But but um, man, I mean, you guys for for owning us three straight times. I've never seen people that uh, uh, upset. But Juwan initiated that confrontation by walking towards Maryland's bench across half court. That's what Dickinson, from what I learned, didn't do anything in the game the other day in terms of continuing to taunt the coach. They had cut that out. But but Juwan walking in that direction was the instigator, period. That's what happened. He wasn't just outside his own coaching box. You watch any view of that video, he is across half court closer to Maryland's coaching box than his own. He exaggerated that just slightly in his post-game thing. And left out, if true, the reporting, now many people have reported, Turgeon didn't say it, um, that Juwan lost his mind and momentarily threatened to kill Turgeon. Um, <laughs> But the good news is Turgeon, the only other coach I know that he might have beef with in the entire country is Danny Hurley. Um, And they they get him on Saturday night. By the way, on that game, um, I want to get to it, but go ahead. Did you have any reaction to that, 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 that thing? And do you think I pretty much explained it accurately? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know more about it than I do with, uh, with, you know, the, the threatening there, but I, I just, I thought it was funny that the big rumor was why Juwan got all upset was that 
some dude with like 20 followers on Twitter heard something that no one else could hear the banner with, which was the banner thing, <laughs> which was, was funny, which yeah. was really funny. And I, I give that guy credit for the creativity, uh, but it didn't happen. Um, yeah. And as you looked at it, it's going to be a, he said, he said type of situation, but it certainly looked like, you know, with Howard being that far down and, I didn't know. I, honestly, I didn't know the the Dickinson backstory. I knew he obviously went to Dematha, and I remember them having some uh, reports that he didn't get recruited, which was I knew was inaccurate. Um, but uh, yeah, clearly. But I, I will say this: obviously, there was some sort of bad blood there because I don't think Turgeon would have snapped like that unless it was something that was kind of starting yeah. to boil up a little bit. So there was, there was some bad blood there. Uh, yeah. And I hope, I hope that this is a, uh, you know, a, a 9 PM uh, game on a, on an early February night in college park next year. Cause that could be, that could be a lot of fun, but yeah, I don't, I don't fully anticipate this to be. It a, would not have surprised me had Maryland, let's just say um, made it to the nine line if they would have been opposite Michigan for a potential second-round game. Well, I don't uh, think so. No, they you can know, do going that. Into, they can, can do that conference-wise. Okay, because Maryland on the seed line I thought was kind of uh, supposed to be a nine, but ultimately got bumped to the ten. They, they, they try not to do it, but they, yeah, and I think but, that's but they don't they... completely avoid it, especially when you've got nine teams from one yeah, league. Sometimes they can't do it. Sometimes. By the way, Tim made reference to the banner. For those of you not familiar with what happened, there was a rumor going on that Turgeon basically told Juwan Howard, and that's what set him off, don't hang the banner because your banners come down, you know, the Fab Five banners um, in reference to, which Howard was a part of. Um, Even Howard didn't say that Turgeon said that. So nobody had that. And um, Howard, you know, went into far more detail about what happened from his uh, viewpoint and never mentioned that. Um, So anyway, uh, I love – look, I I know Mark well enough. He's a competitor, man. He is feisty, and he won't back down. And a lot of Maryland fans said they wish he had said something about the banners. (laughs) But that's not really his style either. He wouldn't have, you know, said something or even thought – to say something like that. Um, uh, anyway, um, Maryland, Yukon, uh, Georgetown, Colorado. Uh, some thoughts on that, and just one last thought on the show about marvelous Marvin Hagler right after this word from one of our sponsors. Georgetown's run through the Big East tournament, Timmy, was so unexpected but at the same time it's really weird because during the course of this year you know my good friend uh christopher johnson cj and he's Mm -hmm. almost like another family member um with the thompson family and i swear to god he'll he'll back me up i would say five times during the course of the season i would just text him right before georgetown games would uh, would tip and i would say georgetown because they were getting a short number against somebody good. I had them so much this year as winners. I had them against Providence. I had them against Creighton. I had them against Xavier. I had them against Nova. Um, I just I, they, they were the right side so many times this year. They also, and this is something that I've talked about over the last couple of years, I don't watch a lot of Georgetown basketball. I don't. But when I have watched them, I think they're well coached. And it's been a talent issue more than anything else. Look, they got a break in facing a Villanova team that's banged up, but they came through in that. 
Bottom line is, I don't think they would have beaten UConn in the final, but the Creighton score and the way they did it is stunning to me. Stunning. Creighton had destroyed them the last time they played. They split with Creighton, but Creighton can really score. And Georgetown outscored them at the end of that half, 30-5. to It was 13-6, to and it ended up Creighton with about 11, 10 and a half to go. And Georgetown outscored them 30-5 to over the last 10 and a half, 11 minutes of that first half. I was shocked by it. I thought that Harris was great. I thought Wahab, when I've watched him play, that he's – I think they do a really good job of going inside out. I think they're really, really good at, at creating offense. Um, I would – you know, I know that they're a five-point dog to Colorado. It's not going to surprise me if Georgetown has a legit chance to win that game. What do you make of the Hoyas? Yeah, I mean, the run was absolutely unexpected and um... – preseason I did a write-up for the Big East and we'll talk about UConn I was very high on UConn I thought they were the third best team in the conference but I also thought Georgetown was the worst team in the conference I didn't expect anything from the Hoyas and and look they lost a Navy in the preseason uh you know early on in the year uh Navy ended up being a decent team but the way the season started I mean they were a train wreck uh but after the COVID pause they they really came back and and, and we're just a completely different team, Kevin. And, you know, the, the road win at Creighton um, was one of the bigger upsets of the year. I mean, yeah. they were about a 14-point dog yeah. going to Creighton, and they won that game by seven. Uh, but the run was was remarkable. And the, the game against Seton Hall was really impressive, winning that game in uh, the fashion that it did. But, yeah, the, the closeout uh, against Creighton, it was 18-18. They won an 18-0 run to close out the first half. I mean, they had a – a uh, 35 to six run to get it to 53 to 24. So it, it was remarkable. And that's something you, something that you look at Colorado. Uh, I don't know how much you've watched of Colorado this year. They're, they're so kind of hit or miss. Um, you know, I, I thought their win against USC was nice, uh, but they have a loss to Cal, uh, you know, Oregon state obviously beats them. McKinley Wright is their best player. He's a really talented guard. Uh, and he could do. He, he's a he's a fun player to watch. But yeah, I would not be surprised whatsoever. And I think the line kind of indicates that it's a five point spread for a five twelve game. That's not a ton of points. So I, I think Georgetown is is absolutely live uh, in that spot. And that's an interesting little pod because a Colorado Georgetown game and then Florida State and UNC Greensboro. I mentioned that Florida State I think is a a tricky matchup for Greensboro, but I think Georgetown um, could. It wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to see them get to the Sweet 16. Um, and yeah, to your point about Patrick Ewing, I mean they've had so much unrest in that in that um, in that program with with players transferring and disciplinary reasons and whatnot. Um, so where they are and and the struggles that they've had with with keeping talent whether one way or the other, uh, it's it's an, a remarkable coaching job by Patrick Ewing. Um, they're going to play Colorado in the first round, as we said, and I, I agree. Um, the line's a little bit short there. It would not surprise me if Georgetown won. Tad Boyle, the coach of Colorado, was one of Turgeon's closest friends. Coached under Turgeon you know, at Jacksonville State and Wichita State as an assistant to Mark um, before finally getting a, a shot. I, I think it was Northern Colorado. I think it was as a head coach. And he's from Colorado. He's been the head coach now there for a long time. You know, Tad Boyle's been at, at Colorado for what? 
Is it a decade? It might be a decade at this point. Um, and he's done a good job, you know, uh, over the years as their head coach. They've been to the tournament, you know, a few times. It's been a while, um, but, the, you know, they had a shot last year to make it. Um, and uh, it's it's going to be – that's that's a great first-round game. Now, as far as Maryland and UConn, we've already talked about Virginia, Ohio. Um, by the way, I think Florida's got a shot at Virginia Tech. Um, the um, – I think Mount uh, beats Texas Southern. <laughs> I do. Um, I think it's a. I think it's a tricky matchup for Texas Southern. They're very big, athletic, um, and uh, if you look at the teams like that in the NEC, I thought uh, real quick. I'll just do a, uh, thirty seconds on them, but uh, I thought the game plan that they put out there, Dan Engelstad and his staff against Walt Whitman Bryant, High School. Yep. Pride of Whitman. Um, I thought it was a masterpiece what they did against Bryant. No one gave them a chance to beat Bryant undefeated at home, uh, and they 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 stifled them defensively. I love how so, you're into that league. You've always been into that league. NEC baby. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's a it's a great spot for them. They're they're by themselves on Thursday, so it's a cool spot, good moment for Mount St. Mary's, and uh, I think they beat Texas Southern. So um, this is a tough matchup for Maryland. It's a tough matchup for UConn too. Um, the thing that that concerns me it's not the it's not the team that i wanted um i i think you know it's i can tell you this georgetown didn't want yukon they wanted creighton in the final um they didn't want any part of yukon uh they georgetown uh, gave up 98 to yukon just a week and a half ago um and lost 98 to 82 in that game um yukon with uh with book night uh their their scoring guard um is really capable, and Danny Hurley's teams are always tough, physical. Maryland had a couple of games with Rhode Island um, and handled them, um, but they were rough games with Rhode Island, chippy games. I think this is going to be a chippy game. These are two physical teams, two teams with a lot of length and a lot of wingspan. They've got some size in their freshman big who Maryland recruited. Um, the key to me is, is you know, can Maryland get them to shoot at a super low percentage, which is what they did against Creighton. Creighton, you know, basically held them to, I think it was, I think I looked it up last night, 32% from the floor and held UConn to 56 points. You know, you can see it in the total in this game, which is like 129, 130. You know, people are expecting this to be, you know, a game in the in the low 60s, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. And that's where that's where Maryland needs it to be. I don't know if UConn feels the same way. Um, but it's going to be, it's, you know, it's going to be really Maryland's superb defensively. They really are. And they can play small and switch every single screen. Um, but UConn's got some size, um, and Maryland has dealt, uh, had some issues with some size and their big dude Sanago is like 6'10 and 240. Um, and, uh, and, and Whaley, I think is big too. So you've probably watched more of UConn. I've watched enough of them to know that I didn't really want them. Um, cause this has, you know, this has 63, 60 written all over it one way or the other. Yeah. I really like this UConn team and, uh, I was hoping they'd get a, a better draw than Maryland too. Um, uh, because I think they have the capabilities of making a run. Um, Sonogo, as you mentioned, the big man, uh, yeah, he's played well uh, down the stretch. Uh, he had 13 against Creighton uh, in that first-round matchup against uh, against DePaul. He had 14. He had a big game against Seton Hall, 16 and nine, and 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 I think a game that maybe uh, will be similar in uh, in style, uh, stylistically at the end of that uh, at the end of the season there. 
Um, yeah, and that's the thing. When when UConn got James Booknight back, they really started to hum. Um, Tyrese Martin has played well, uh, another guard. They are a really good backcourt with with Martin, Booknight, and then the Howard transfer, R.J. Cole. Uh, R.J. Cole, I believe, was the MEAC player of the year two years ago, uh, transferred to UConn, sat out the year, and uh, he's he's kind of been up and down. Uh, I think they've he's had some big games you know he he can be neutralized uh but book night's the big the big key here i mean he is a uh you know big long rangy guard uh 19 points a game uh crushed georgetown and since he's come back from injury he's really played well and since that loss they played villanova yeah on a saturday lost that game uh and i think they Tight, didn't cover. It was a tight game. They yeah, it was cover. closer than the score yeah. indicated. They, they went on uh, a run and they started killing people. And, yeah. and they didn't, you know, they played Georgetown twice during that stretch. They played Marquette. Um, uh, they they beat Seton Hall. Played and then, Seton Hall. And then they had one of the worst shooting games they've had in a while. Maryland's better defensively than Creighton, so maybe Maryland can can force them. In. Maryland's, you know, one of the best defensive efficiency teams and offensive efficiency teams, for that matter, in the country. Um, I think this is, you know, I think this is a coin flip. I would have felt much better against Clemson, even though they lost to him earlier. I think Maryland would have destroyed a team like like uh, Creighton. Actually, I think they would have defended them and and forced them into a rough night. I think they would have beaten BYU. I think they would have beaten Florida. There were a couple of teams I was hoping for. I didn't want North Carolina, and I didn't want UConn. Those were the two I didn't want. Um, but you know they've played better, man. I mean the Big Ten. You know, UConn would have fit in actually nicely in this year's Big Ten with the the way they play. Um, but Maryland played, you know, the elite of the elite this year. So they're, they're certainly not going to be afraid, and they're not going to be overwhelmed by any stretch of the imagination. It's a really good matchup, you know. CBS is putting it in the primetime slot, you know, on Saturday night um, with, uh, with, with, you know, the two programs that have, you know, significant history. Last time they played was in the Elite Eight at the Carrier Dome in 2002. Gary Williams called it the best game, highest level game he ever coached in when Maryland beat them to go on to win the national championship. Um, wanted to mention two things before we go. Number one, um, I really was sincere when I tweeted out, for those of you that thought I was really not, um, I really was sincere about being happy for the Georgetown family. You have no idea how cool it was for all of us to work in a building where um, a legend like Coach Thompson was every single day. And some and Tim was a part of it too. Some of those conversations in the bullpen with Coach were with some of my best memories um, uh, working at 980. And I know how emotional this was to that whole group. Um, and, and I like all of those people too. And so I am happy about him. Now, he would, he would call, he would say, motherfucker, you, you know, tell him how you really feel. And I would say, I don't want Georgetown to be good. You know, I want Maryland. To, I'm a Maryland fan. I don't Georgetown be, becoming a really good p- program under Patrick Ewing doesn't help Maryland. And vice versa. Those guys, whether it was JT3 or Ronnie or, or, or Coach, we, they would tell you we, we, they didn't like Maryland. They didn't want Maryland to do well. Now, John loved Lefty and loved Gary, but they, he was never rooting for them to do well or rooting for the ACC to do well. Um, but I am happy for that, for the Georgetown family. Because um, what, a, what a time to do it, man. What a time to do it. I love Patrick's response when he was asked in the postgame show, what do you think Coach would be saying to you right now? And he said, well, I can't say it on television because it would have started with mf 
But that was a term of endearment um, with Coach. And uh, um, I think it's really cool that they made that run through the tournament, not to mention the fact that Patrick is doing a great job and is so likable. Like, everything about Patrick Ewing is likable. And the way he handled the whole weekend I thought was brilliant, talking about people not recognizing him at Madison Square Garden. Um, I think they've got a shot to beat Colorado. I do, and get to the second round, which would be a second-round game um, against um, um, against Florida State, right? Is that is that the matchup? It would be Florida State in the second round if, if Georgetown wins. Yeah. Uh, that would be the matchup. But uh, that would be, you know, that's a big old team um, uh, that Florida State's got. But Georgetown is playing well, and and they are – they're playing – they got they high, Q, high IQ players and a high IQ team. Um, all right. Um, I just wanted to say real quickly, Tim, because you're younger, how many times have you watched Hagler Hearns? Have you seen it? <laughs> uh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm glad we ended with this. Do I, need to, um, do I need to sit on uh, Uncle Kevin's knee here for a moment? Yeah, you do. It's only it's only like 17 minutes long. It's three rounds. It's the greatest three rounds that you'll ever see. It's the greatest first round in champ in big time championship boxing history. Okay, seriously, the greatest first round ever. Um, it is. It's one of those fights that over the years, you know, I'll be sitting around in front of my computer on YouTube, and I'll be like, eh, "Let me go watch Hagler Hearns again because it's so awesome." I've made all my kids watch it over the years, and when when Hagler died over the weekend, and that's why I'm bringing it up, he died at the age of 66. Um, he was during an era of non heavyweights being the story in boxing. It was all, it was middleweights, it was welterweights, it was lightweights, it was Sugar Ray Leonard, it was Tommy Hearns, it was Roberto Duran, it was Marvin Hagler, it was Alexis Arguello, it was Aaron Pryor, it was Pepino Cuevas, it was uh, it was Wilfred Benitez, and the list goes on and on and on. And they, they just, the Hagler was the best. He was the best pound-for-pound fighter of that era. I think he beat Sugar Ray Leonard in that epic matchup in April of 87, even though Leonard got the decision. It's what sent him into retirement early. He thought he was completely jobbed. I did too, and I was a Sugar Ray guy. Hagler just was the ultimate pro, and he was, for that era, as good as anybody and one of the greats of all time. And he was part of one of the most memorable fights in boxing history, Hagler Hearns, three rounds of some of the fiercest attempting to knock each other out with big blows that you will ever see. Tim, do yourself a favor. Before you get ready for your show, it's 17 minutes when this show ends, just YouTube, and do get the version with Al Michaels, and I think it's Ross Bernstein on the call, um, the Al Michaels call of it. Um, it is... Incredible. You just don't see fights like that any anymore. Um, Hearns was, you know, Tommy Hearns, the Tommy the Hitman Hearns, was a knockout artist until he lost to Sugar Ray Leonard uh, in a TKO in Caesar's Palace 1981 when he became more of a boxer. But hit, hit, the Hitman came out that night knowing, if I don't knock him out early, I can't beat him. And he tried like hell to knock him out. And it's one of the more electrifying sporting events of the 20th century, the three-round Hagler-Hearns fight. 
um, which nobody um, who has ever seen it will ever forget. Uh, so I've given you homework. Uh, thanks for I'm on it. Thanks for spending time on Uncle Kevin's knee. <laughs> and thank you for hanging out with me for the show. We gave you guys a lot of NCAA tournament talk. I've been checking Twitter to see if there's anything related to our football team. Uh, nothing has happened uh, during the show. Back tomorrow with Tommy. Another right hand. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.